If you brought a copy of Scripture with you, you can find Philippians chapter 1. And thank you so much, Emily. Wasn't that beautifully sung? And I gave that assignment to Paul just a couple of days ago to come up with another rendition of that song. Praise the Lord. Well, are you a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall you fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? That Those questions are sort of permeated throughout the text where we left off in Philippians in verse 12 of chapter 1, and this is where we pick it up. Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that has become known. It's become known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without phobos, that is fear, trepidation. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. A lot has happened in 10 years since Paul has planted the church. He has been seized by Roman authorities, beaten, put into chains, two chains to be exact, nearly beaten again, only this time he claimed his Roman citizenships so he didn't get whipped, escaped a hit put on him, appealed to Caesar so that he could go off to Rome, does so, he, he sails for Rome only to be shipwrecked, swims to shore, only to be bitten by a viper. Finally, three months later, he makes it to Rome for a speedy trial, actually not, goes under house arrest, has to pay his own rent for the place for two more years. Now, if that were you, by the way, that's, that's, that's what's going on, and it's in that circumstance that Paul writes this letter. He's incarcerated under house arrest. If that were you, how would you have put these opening words of Paul where he asks, or he says, I want you to know, brothers, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really, how would you complete that? If that were you. Has really been a sham. It's, I'm, I, I'm being dealt with unjustly. I'm a victim. Everybody's victimized in our culture. Help me, write the senator. Take up an offer and get me out of here. This isn't what I planned for my life. Listen, whatever happens in our lives is rarely ever, rarely ever turns out exactly as we plan it, does it? How does Paul respond? Under all that I painted, what does he respond? How does he respond? Well, you saw it, look at it again. I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really, watch this, served to what? Advance. The gospel. So with that, Paul introduces the concept that the gospel, gospel advancement is the very thing that activates resistance. 
Here's a picture. It's about 32, 33 years old. That's me on the right. And that's my sister-in-law, Linda. If looks could kill. In fact, she sent me this picture, and she keeps this picture as a reminder to herself. She has that look of, when are you going to stop preaching to me? Because that's exactly what I was doing. I could sense the resistance in the moment, and yet God was advancing in the moment. How does God advance his gospel? That's the question we have over this text. How does God advance his gospel? Well, the first way is by allowing resistance. And we just saw it again. He says, the things that have happened to me have happened for the advancement of the gospel. The word advance is a cool Greek word. It's the word prokope. It literally means to advance against resistance. In this case, the resistance to the gospel. The irony of it all is, is that Paul himself is an example of how God uses resistance to further his causes. Back in uh, chapter 8 of, of uh, the book of Acts, Paul was then Saul, not converted yet. He's, on the, he's, on the, he's, he's really close to getting converted. And it says he approved of Stephen's execution. There arose a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they, that is the Christians, were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And then it says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So here is Paul dragging people off to prison, punishing them, having one Stephen put to death, and what's happening to the gospel? <laughs> it's advancing. It's advancing. So Paul himself is showing us that, that God uses resistance to advance his causes, and namely the gospel. Again, the word advance, literally the Greek word prokopate, literally means to advance by chopping down whatever impedes the progress. It was used of Roman troops that would go ahead of the actual army and clear the path removing boulders and, and timber and what, so the actual army could make its advancement. Same word used here. And from a practical perspective, what, what, what this means is that God will use the struggles in your life. He will use the resistance that you're receiving to clear a path for his gospel. And there are many here at Sandalville Church who can tell you that they came to Christ through great resistance, great heartache, Divorce, you know, separation, rejection, something. We had somebody come to Christ while they were dying recently. I don't know about where your struggle is, but these are the things, the resistance that advanced the gospel are the very things that helped shape Paul's understanding of God and his ways. Remember in 1 Corinthians 16, he says, I'm going to stay here in Ephesus because a great and effectual door has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Remember we said where there's a door, there's a demon. Where there's opposition, there, where there's opportunity, there's opposition. That's always been the way God advances his causes. Advancement comes through struggle. Both the Bible and history affirms this. You got Joseph in the Old Testament... He becomes a second in charge after all that happens to him. You got Daniel, who was probably, by the way, sexually abused. He was a eunuch. And look how he advanced in the kingdom of Babylon to say, help save the people of Israel. You got 
Bunyan, who's in prison for 12 years, and John Bunyan, what's he do? He writes the greatest book next to the Bible, The Pilgrim's Progress. And before him, John Huss and Martin Luther and John Kelvin and so many others up to the present time. Here's the Apostle Paul writing to the Romans in in chapter 15. He says this. He said, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. This is the reason why I I have so often been hindered. That's a form of the same word to advance. It's the negative form. From coming to you. It's a picturing somebody swooping in and cutting you off, which is what happened to Paul. Our third church plan in the Engaged Network is in Altoona. And in the very first school they were in, the government in that area was diametrically opposed to evangelical Christianity. And so much so, they charged them exorbitant prices, triple what all of our other church plants were, were renting space for. They wouldn't let them use classrooms. They made the kids sit in the hallway. They wouldn't let them use the drinking fountains. Now, I know that's, you say, oh, that's terrible. I mean, it's not like they're getting beaten for their faith. But there was resistance until they eventually got pushed out and they went to another school. And what, what happened as a result? Souls coming to Christ left, right, and center. 150 people added to the faith during that time. Gospel advancement is the very thing that activates resistance from our enemy. And watch this. As the text shows, resistance advances the gospel. And make no mistake, we are talking about preaching the gospel. I mean, five times. Look at verse 12, the advance of the gospel. Verse 14, he says at the end of verse 14, they're speaking without fear. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ. End of verse 16, I'm talking about the defense of the gospel. Beginning of verse 17, the former proclaim Christ. And at the end of verse 18, he's rather in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. We're talking about Witnessing. We're talking about advancing the gospel. We're talking about verbally speaking forth the message of the gospel. Gospel advancement activates resistance, and resistance activates the gospel. That's the way it is. The second way God advances his gospel from this text is by unforeseen changes in our lives. Anybody had any unforeseen changes? Unfortunately, our Our life experiences often form our theology, and I've seen this repeatedly, even amongst Christians. It's it's so disheartening to a pastor to see somebody's, your your theology shaped by your experiences. You see, you're not in the Word, but you're watching the world. You're seeing what happens. You see what's happened in history, and you wonder about God, and you develop a caricature of God. It's not the real thing. It's like looking into a circus mirror. Our theology should come from the Scripture alone. And then our experiences should firm up that theology. And it goes without saying that God doesn't need my permission to change my plans. Can I get a witness there? Paul is, Paul's been planning churches all around the, the known world of that day. He's taken, he's incarcerated, he's shipped off to Rome, and he's under verse 13, the, the palace guard. That's the word praetorian guard. The Praetorian Guard in Rome, technically speaking, there were, they were 9,000 elite crack troops, the best of the best. And Paul says the whole guards come under the influence of the God. I mean, some people think, well, he's using hyperbole. This is exaggeration. Really? 
If, if they were to guard them 24-7, Romans would have four shifts. You'd have four guards every single day. They'd be rotating him constantly. Think about it. This wasn't just a Christian. This was the most notable or notorious Christian alive on planet Earth. You want to know how influential this was for the two years Paul was there? Just look at the very end of Philippians. Go, just go to the end real quick. Chapter 4, verse 22, he's 21. He's signing off. Greet the saints that are in Christ Jesus. Brothers, the brothers who are with me greet you. And all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. How did they come under the influence of the gospel? By God's unforeseen plan, putting Paul where he was. The whole praetorian guard heard about it. Caesar's house those under his auspices were coming to Christ. You can't make this kind of stuff up. This is advancement. So, listen, sometimes God will put you in the dark in order to put his son in the light. That's just the way it is. This is the idea behind what the psalmist said when he said in Psalm 115, our God is in heaven and he does whatever he what whatever he pleases. And Paul here sees the sovereign, unforeseen hand of God. He's, he's not a, he doesn't feel victimized. He sees us as God working. This is the way we need to be. Now, I showed you a picture earlier. Let me show you it again. This is a collage. Actually, the same picture as above I showed you. And this is the woman right below 32 years later. And that's her husband, Mike. That's not my brother, Bob. Up above, that's the same woman married to my brother, Bobby, my younger brother. Sometime after that family reunion, she ran off from my brother with a high school teacher who she'd had an abortion with a few years earlier. And she married him and tore out my brother's heart and caused great, great stress in our family. The whole thing was just ugly, ugly, and more ugly. And then God put another sister-in-law in her path who shared Christ with her. And by and by, they began to have Bible studies and she came under great conviction of her sin and her rebellion. She repented of her sin. She placed her faith in Jesus. Oh, and did I tell you, the guy she ran off and married down below, Mike, he was already a Christian. When he was a little boy, he placed his faith in Jesus, but he was far, far, far away from God, obviously. But he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? And when his wife got saved, he came under conviction, was lifting weights down in the basement. He only had 100 pounds over on his chest, which is like nothing. To, to, but he couldn't even bench press it because there was a greater weight pressing upon him. He repented of his sin. Play, he, re, he turned back to God. She went back to my younger brother, Bobby, and repented of her sin. They reconciled in as much as they could. They get along to this day. By the way, I got permission from both to share this story with you. You can't make this stuff up. The guy went into the ministry. He had a sports ministry in Chicago, was the chaplain for the Chicago Bears. 
His wife ran, uh, ran a bookstore until, until just a few months ago. They've been on mission trips, led Muslims to Christ. They are fervent soul winners for Jesus Christ. You can't make this stuff up. This is God's hand, his unforeseen hand, and you got to start seeing it in your life. So that's how God advances his gospel. Do I know another way? Say yes. Okay, here's another way. By reviving and inspiring his church. Verse 14 says it all. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without phobos, without fear, without trepidation. Do you do that? Do you speak God's word without fear, or do you, as Watts puts it, blush to speak his name? And what's it going to take? Does somebody have to be persecuted in this comfy environment in which we live? I mean, when, when 9-11 happened and those buildings came down and all of those hundreds of firemen were killed, the New York Fire Department couldn't contain the applications that were coming in to become firemen. Our enemy isn't toppling buildings, but he is destroying lives, damning souls, isn't he? Do you believe that? Paul wrote to Timothy when he was in another incarceration. He he said, I'm suffering in this bondage, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is inbound. It's still advancing. Soon after I became a Christian, one of the first things I did was I started reading great Christian biographies of great men of God like Hudson Taylor, Adoniram Judson, William Carey, and Jim Elliott through Gates of Splendor. That book changed my life. Back in the 50s, when, when, when Jim Elliott and his four missionary friends were killed at the hands of Alka Indians, hundreds, thousands of young people poured into Bible colleges and seminaries to go on for the cause of Christ. No longer blush to speak his name. Here's how Watts put the question. Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease? While others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Good questions indeed. Maybe it starts with our motives. This would be the last thing I would point out. God advances his gospel by purifying the motives of his servants. It's this fascinating, verses 15 through 18 is a fascinating study in and of itself. I grant you, it's both fascinating and shocking because the the church is only 30 years old. It's only 30 years old. Think about this. And already ministers of the gospel are are serving God with ungodly motivations. They're doing it with envy and rivalry, trying to afflict Paul in his imprisonment. We don't know who these guys are. We, We have no clue. All kinds of speculations out there. It's enough to know that their motivations aren't pure, right? acting territorial, even opposing one another. And don't miss the fact that he does make a contrast. Verse 14, he says, most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord. Verse 15, some, so that the most some is a good contrast. That, it wasn't universal, but there's always, there's always people in the midst who are doing good things for God with the most worthless motivations. And that's what's going on here. 
And they're, they're trying to afflict Paul. These, these are, they're not heretics. Paul doesn't call them out for heresy. He doesn't say they're preaching another gospel. They're not Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or, or uh, you know, preaching some health and prosperity message. They're not preaching a liberal Jesus, which is no Jesus at all. Apparently, they're preaching the truth. But they're not motivated, verse 15, by goodwill or love. And in spite of their motivations, apparently God is using them. Does that bother you? Oh, by the way, as long as Jonah is in the Bible, <laughs> then know this, results are not a barometer of whether God approves of your ministry. The word envy there in, in verse 15, some of your Bibles translate it jealousy. That's just as good. And a historian in those days wrote this, the envious are those annoyed only by their friends' successes. <laughs> Isn't that something? Somebody else's ministry, somebody else's church, two states away, half a country away, half a world. Oh, awesome, that's so awesome. You know, three blocks away. It's like the guy at the business meeting who reported to his church, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you that our, our, our membership is down 20% from last year. But the good news is the church down the street didn't fare any better. <laughs> Where does this kind of spirit come from? It's, that's the spirit right there, that territorialism. It's sick. It's totally sick. Now, wait a minute. I know this sickness. I was talking to Pastor Brad here the other day. We were talking about these things, and the Lord brought something to my mind that had happened about 18 years ago. And I was preaching, and there was a, a, a woman, her, na her name was Lauren. She was in the church. She's from a mainline church. She was under conviction, wanted to be saved, emailed me. I got the email on a Friday. Pastor Pat, I've been coming. I'm under conviction. I not, I, I'm convinced I'm not a Christian. I'd like to set up a, a meeting with you so that I could become a Christian. <laughs> Hallelujah, low-hanging fruit. I'm all over it. Yeah, absolutely, it's Friday. I'll button things up. Let's get together on Monday. Boom. I'm preaching that Sunday, right here. And in those days, there was a partition about halfway back, a partition that went across here, a glass partition. She was on the other side of it, bawling her eyes out, under conviction. And Dave Heisterkamp, who was my administrative, uh, administrative pastor at the time, he saw her crying. He said, what's wrong? She goes, I'm under conviction. I, I believe I need to be saved. He goes, well, why don't you be saved? She goes, well, I have a meeting with Pastor Pat tomorrow. <laughs> you don't need to wait for that meeting. He led her to Christ right there. <laughs> I said, let's see if this thing has any legs Eight, after 18 years. I'm talking to Brad. We walked out of my office into the main office because Lisa Peterson, our office manager, is, her, is Lauren, now Peterson's sister-in-law. I said, hey, 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 Lisa, do you remember how Lauren got saved? She goes, yeah, Dave Heischkamp led her to Christ. <laughs> So don't think that spirit of competition and territorialism and envy isn't in you. And God hates it. And these individuals, for whatever they were doing, they were trying to incite the same thing guilty in their own hearts in the heart of Paul. And was it working? No can do. Verse 18, are you kidding? What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense... And the word pretense means exactly what you think it means. It means false motivation, or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I will rejoice. 
When I was working at UPS years ago, I went, ran into a trucker as I was going out, shared Christ with him. He said, I try, I, he goes, I got saved a couple of years ago. I said, praise the Lord, tell me your story. He goes, man, I'm, I'm driving down the road one day, and I mean, the preacher on the radio was just preaching the gospel, told me about Jesus' death on my behalf. I broke down and wept. I pulled the car. I couldn't even see through my tears. He says, I repented of my sin. I placed my faith in Jesus. It was a beautiful testimony. I rejoiced with him. I said, who is the radio preacher? He says, Jim Baker. <laughs> in the 1980s, Jim Baker was the biggest charlatan that was out there. He was a liar, and he admitted it all. He preached a false gospel. But apparently on that day, he preached the true gospel. My head wanted to dismiss his testimony, but my heart wanted to rejoice, and that's what I did. Listen, I don't have to position myself with them in order to praise God for them. I can't control someone else's motivation, but I can control mine, and mine are all that counts. And yours too, right? Listen, God is going to keep advancing his gospel. How much more when his servants have purified motivations, ready to rejoice whenever and however God chooses to save them. So we conclude with Isaac Watts' words. Sure, I must fight if I should reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the cross. Endure the pain. Supported by your word. Are you a soldier of the cross? Have you enlisted? Are you an onward kind of guy or girl? Or are you content to just circle the wagons around yourself, your family, to create a little compound there? Listen, God didn't call us to hold the 40 call. He called us to storm the heights, to preach the word, to, to share Jesus with pure motivations, right? Realizing he can do whatever he wants and often does to advance his cause, expand his kingdom, and glorify his name. Some of you need to enlist in the kingdom of God. Some of you are far, far from God. You've never been saved. You've never trusted Jesus. Late last night, 1 o'clock in the morning, I got a text from a man I've been sharing Christ with. I said, hey, dude, I'm not here to pressure you. And it was a week ago I told him this. He texts me at 1 o'clock in the morning. He says, we need to talk. I got to get this thing figured out. I can't blush to speak his name. Will you? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the courage given to us from heaven by your spirit in our hearts that gives us a spirit of boldness and not fear, of power, love, and of a sound mind. And may we go from here, Lord, not blushing to speak your name, but in all our ways acknowledging you and preaching the gospel and winning others to you. God, whether or not it's the praetorian guard of our day and the upper echelons of society or the lowest dregs 
give us a heart for people. Help us to see that you change things in our lives, interrupt our plans, cause us to suffer, use resistance to glorify your name and advance your cause. Help us to see these things and glorify you as we come to the Lord's table. In Jesus' name, amen.